Okay, so it's good that we can continue our study after a few weeks break. Uh, so we stopped with the book of uh, Deuteronomy and today uh, we'll start with the book of uh, Timothy going through first and second Timothy as the weeks go by and as the Lord leads. So we'll go through the first uh, 11 verses, uh, then we'll open it up for discussion and questions and observations as it comes along. So 1 Timothy is a great book, uh, and in this passage and also in subsequent chapters, uh, we see that the gospel or the doctrines that Paul had taught uh, to the Ephesus church, uh, it is being compromised, and Paul is uh, sending Timothy uh, as, a, as a shepherd and as to take care of those uh, issues. So that is what we would see uh, in these uh, chapters. So we'll go through introduction in verses 1 and 2. And verses 3 to 7 is where uh, Paul is giving the charge uh, to Timothy in terms of what uh, he should be doing and why Paul is uh, leaving Timothy at Ephesus uh, to take care of the uh, local church there. And there is a slight diversion in verses 8 to 11 where Paul talks about the law and then we'll close there and we'll pick it up next week. So in verses one and two, uh, we can pick up some background and introduction where we are introduced to Paul and also to Timothy. And the timing of this book, uh, it would be around uh, 65 AD, and it would uh, return uh, right after Paul was released uh, from prison, and it would be written from Greece. And we also see that first Timothy is written towards the end uh, of Paul's uh, ministry. And first and second Timothy, uh, they are also known as pastoral or leadership epistles, uh, along with the book of Titus. But as we go through these books, uh, we will see that uh, it also has lots of good application for all believers, regardless of uh, what ministry they are doing. Uh, there's a lot of good teaching for all of us, uh, which should challenge us and which will inspire us and encourage us uh, to be on the right path. And when we look at the entire book, uh, we see that the main focus of Paul uh, in writing these letters uh, is to charge and encourage and also equip Timothy, uh, who happened to be much uh, younger than Paul, uh, so that even though he is young, uh, he can be fully equipped uh, to lead uh, boldly. And Paul, Timothy is going to enter a place uh, where there are a lot of challenges and most of the people would be uh, older to him. So Paul is uh, encouraging him and also equipping him with the right uh, words so they, he can lead with uh, conviction and he can correct uh, some of the false teachings uh, that is happening in uh, Ephesus. So in 1 Timothy 3.15, uh, he writes that thou mayest know how you ought to behave yourself, thyself, uh, in the house of God. So Paul is going to leave behind Timothy for some time so that he can address uh, some of these issues. But he's not leaving uh, Timothy alone. Uh, he's also giving him what he needs uh, to carry on the work. So we see many uh, topics, uh, even in First Timothy. Uh, we'll see the role of law, and it speaks about gospel and salvation in chapter 1. And it speaks about the difference uh, between sound and false uh, doctrine. And it speaks about a good conscience and also a conscience uh, that is seared. And we read about prayer and worship. Uh, it gets into women, the role of women and men, and teaching 
then chapter three focuses on uh, what should be the qualification of someone who's leading a ministry. But many of those uh, attributes uh, should be present in all the believers, uh, not just the leaders. And chapter four uh, speaks about aligning your lifestyle with sound doctrine. So the doctrine that you align yourself with, uh, that would be your testimony. Uh, so it's very important that the lifestyle that we choose uh, is connected uh, to the right uh, doctrine. And chapter five gets into respecting uh, elders uh, in terms of age and also supporting widows. And chapter six focuses on uh, believers and what should be their uh, attitude uh, towards money. So sound doctrine, uh, as Paul emphasizes, uh, it's very important to have order in the church. So if there is no good doctrine. Uh, it leads to uh, confusion. Uh, it leads to disruption of God's work. So that is why Paul has a burden uh, in sending Timothy so that uh, these doctrines can be re-emphasized. And as we said, uh, if there is no sound doctrine, then godliness uh, will also be missing uh, among the congregation. And uh, gospel uh, truth uh, is worth uh, fighting for. And we see that in many churches, uh, the gospel itself uh, is compromised, uh, which means uh, people are not getting the right teaching, uh, even in terms of salvation. Uh, so we see a lot of confusion. So true gospel and true doctrine uh, is always worth uh, taking a stand for, uh, even though uh, it may not be pleasant, uh, even though people may not like uh, when we take a stand uh, for sound doctrine or sound teaching, uh, we need to please God uh, more than men, and it is worth fighting for. So in the first two verses, uh, we see uh, Paul introduces himself and we also see that Timothy is the one uh, who the letter is written to. Okay, so we know that Paul uh, is the one uh, who is writing this uh, writing this epistle. And right at the beginning, Paul uh, establishes uh, his credibility and also his authority. So it is important that when we are reading the epistles, we want to make sure uh, that the source uh, is good. So that is why Paul begins uh, by saying that he is an apostle of Jesus Christ or he has been uh, divinely appointed by the Lord uh, to carry on the Lord's work. And he furthermore, he goes on to say the authority has been given to him, or he has been commanded by God, our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. And when we go back to the book of Acts uh, that we did long time back, uh, we know that Paul was chosen. Uh, he had a true encounter with Lord Jesus Christ, and he was chosen by God uh, for a divine uh, mission. And the mission we read in verse 15 and 16 of Acts 9, uh, to bear my name uh, before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him uh, great things uh, he must suffer uh, for my name's sake. So we see that the main mission that Paul had uh, was to bear, uh, to be a witness uh, for the Lord uh, among all the people. And because of that, he would also suffer and that is what we read in the book of Acts. And here we are also introduced to God uh, as our savior. So God has given the preeminence, uh, even though we generally associate uh, Lord Jesus Christ as being our savior, uh, but it is coming through Christ, but God is the one who is the source uh, of our salvation, which is being given to us 
uh, through Christ. And he goes on to say, Christ uh, is our hope. And we know from Colossians 1.27, uh, Christ in you, uh, the hope of glory. So that is the gift that we have received, the gift of Christ, uh, which gives us the hope uh, of glory. And so Paul says uh, he's an apostle, which means uh, he's uh, someone who has been sent or he has been divinely appointed by the Lord uh, with his uh, authority. And when we look at the New Testament, uh, we can say that uh, all of the 11 disciples and also Matthias, who was the replacement for Judas uh, Iscariot, uh, they would be considered as apostles because all of them uh, were disciples. They were with Jesus and they were taught by Lord Jesus Christ. And they continue to convey that message uh, throughout their life. And Paul, even though he was not with Christ, uh, but uh, he, he is still considered an apostle. Uh, he is inspired by the Spirit. And, and the same way that Jude and James, uh, uh, they are not apostles, but uh, we see their writings in New Testament. And also the 70 that were sent by Lord that we read about in Luke 10.1. Uh, they would also be considered as an apostle. So Paul is uh, establishing his uh, authority as an apostle and also that he is being commanded by the Lord uh, to write this uh, epistle. And when we go to uh, Ephesians uh, 2.20, uh, we see that the church was built uh, on the foundation of the apostles and prophets uh, with Christ uh, Jesus himself uh, as the chief uh, cornerstone. So when we say that uh, we are continuing uh, in the Apostles' Doctrine in Acts 2.42, uh, we are reminded that we are building the work uh, on the foundation of the Apostles or the teachings of the Apostles. And the foundation uh, is now complete. So uh, in that sense, uh, there is no need uh, for new apostolic teachings or there is no need for adding new books to the Bible. So when someone says uh, that they have a new revelation, uh, that we need to add one more book uh, to the Bible, then we know that uh, that would be false teaching or it would be some kind of cult uh, that is uh, happening. So we simply have to build uh, on the foundation of Christ, uh, who is the chief uh, cornerstone, and we don't need more revelations. And Paul also defends his apostleship in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, verse 11 and 12. Uh, he writes, I have made a fool of myself, but you drove me to it. I ought to have been commended by you, for I'm not in the least uh, inferior to the super apostles, uh, even though I'm nothing. I persevered in demonstrating among you the marks uh, of a true apostle. Uh, including signs, uh, wonders, and miracles. So even if Paul says uh, that he's not an apostle, when we look at his life, uh, we find evidence that he's an apostle uh, based on what he taught. So Paul's uh, preaching, uh, as you have seen in the book of Acts, and also on the epistles that he has written, uh, he focuses on Christ, uh, he focuses on gospel, he focuses on repentance and the kingdom of God. Uh, which is consistent with uh, apostolic uh, teaching. And he's also engaged in encouraging the local believers and strengthening them. And Paul also had a very uh, fruitful ministry. Uh, when we look at the number of souls uh, that were saved by him, 
when we look at the saints uh, that were strengthened uh, in different uh, local assemblies, and when we look at the local churches that he helped plant or establish, and also when we read uh, his writings uh, in the New Testament. So, so Paul, we know he wrote uh, 13 uh, epistles, and when we look at it in chronological order, uh, we see that uh, 1 Timothy comes uh, towards the end of his life, and 2 Timothy would be the last uh, book that he wrote uh, after uh, Titus. So it gives us uh, good insights uh, from Paul based on his uh, experience of living for the Lord uh, all his life, based on his experience of serving the Lord. So we can get good, uh, he's uh, conveying good wisdom to us uh, that has been captured based on his uh, years of experience. So that is what we want to hear. Uh, when we want to get wisdom, uh, we don't go to young people, but we go to older people who have lived through life and who know, uh, who have that experience. And Paul, we also see that he uses uh, different titles uh, in the 13 epistles that he wrote. Uh, sometimes he uses the title of an apostle. Uh, sometimes he calls himself a servant of God. And sometimes he calls himself a prisoner of Jesus Christ, uh, as we see in Philemon. Or sometimes it's a combination of two. So those are the three prominent titles uh, that Paul uses uh, in his writings. And when we come to Timothy, who is introduced in verse 2, uh, unto Timothy, my own son, uh, in faith, uh, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. And Timothy, also we were introduced uh, in the book of Acts. So Timothy was from Lystra, which would be uh, modern-day Turkey. And Timothy was had a Jewish uh, mother and a Greek uh, father, and we also read in Acts 16.2 uh, that Timothy had a good character or a good uh, testimony. And when we go to 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, uh, verse 5 and 3.15, uh, we see that uh, Timothy was taught uh, at a very young age uh, from the scriptures. He was taught by his mother Eunice and grandmother Louis, and they both were saved or converted to uh, Christianity. And throughout, during his life, as he grew older, uh, we see that he is being disciplined, discipled by Paul. And even in these letters, uh, two letters, uh, Paul is discipling him uh, through the writings and preparing him for greater ministry. So we see that many people had a role to play uh, in Timothy developing his skills and developing as a leader. It started at home. Uh, with his mother and grandparents, grandmother. And later on, we see that uh, Paul takes on that role of uh, mentoring him and bringing him up in faith. So that reminds us that uh, for each child uh, that is born, uh, we need to treat uh, each child uh, in a very uh, special way because each one is, has been chosen by the Lord for a specific purpose and they might have a great calling in their life. So the life or the time that they spend at home uh, should be used uh, in a way that honors God and which also teaches them uh, from the scriptures. So our children, uh, they should not be taught uh, only in the Sunday school or during VBS. Uh, they also need to be taught uh, on a daily basis. And when they become older, uh, they should also be discipled by someone uh, who is more mature in their faith 
and who's able to identify the gifts and the talents that's been given him. So Paul gives uh, also some honorable titles uh, to Timothy. Uh, we can see that Timothy had a special place uh, in Paul's heart. Uh, here he calls him my own son uh, in faith. So obviously not biological son, but he had a special relationship uh, to the extent that he's able to call him my own son. And in 1 Corinthians uh, 4.17, he calls him his beloved son. And later on in Romans, uh, we see that uh, he also considers uh, Timothy, uh, even though he was much uh, younger to Paul, maybe 20 years younger, uh, he still considered him uh, as a co-worker and a fellow laborer. So Paul had a high regard for Timothy uh, because of the good foundation that he received at home, uh, because of the good testimony or the good character that he had and how he had submitted himself to Paul uh, to his uh, discipleship. And he goes on to greet uh, using familiar words, uh, grace, mercy, and peace, which we often read in Paul's writings. So grace is, as we know, is God's uh, unmerited favor. Uh, we also think of grace as God's uh, divine provision uh, in our life. So we are not only saved by grace, but we are also sustained by grace, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, that his grace uh, is sufficient for us uh, at all times. And mercy uh, is God's uh, forgiveness uh, for our sins and for our failures. So we are always uh, dependent on God's mercy because we are always making mistakes. Uh, we are always uh, falling into sin. And it is only by because of God's mercy that we are not consumed. So, so we are very grateful for God's grace in our life. Uh, we are also grateful for God's mercy in our life uh, through which we are continuously forgiven through the blood. And he also speaks about peace. And we know that the peace uh, we can achieve uh, only through Christ and through the work uh, that was done at the cross, uh, we are able to enjoy peace uh, with God. And also when Lord Jesus Christ uh, died on the cross, uh, he removed the barrier uh, between Jews and Gentiles. So we are also able to enjoy peace uh, with others. And most importantly, we are also able to enjoy peace uh, within us. Uh, which we say passeth all understanding. So all of us have been in situations which have not been peaceful, but when we go to Christ, uh, we are able to enjoy peace, uh, even in stormy situations. And he identifies the source of that grace, uh, mercy, and peace, uh, which we can see as three gifts uh, in the life of a believer. And the source is nothing but God himself, uh, who is our Father and Jesus Christ, who is our Lord. So God is a God, but he is also our heavenly father. So that speaks about the intimacy that we have with God. So he doesn't simply say God. He says God, our father, that shows uh, the relationship that we enjoy with God. And Jesus, of course, is the human name uh, given uh, to the second uh, part of Trinity. And Jesus, uh, as our savior and as Lord, he is our master. And as Christ, uh, we know that he is, he is the anointed one. So just in first two verses, uh, we are introduced to Paul, we are introduced to Timothy, and we are also introduced uh, to the three gifts uh, that we enjoy as believers, uh, as gifts from God the Father. And verses uh, three to seven is where Paul is giving the charge or giving the commission to Timothy uh, in terms of what uh, he should be doing. 
or why uh, he is putting Timothy in that place. Okay, so here uh, in this passage, we see uh, Paul's charge or commission, or we can say command that is given to Timothy. So even though the conditions are not right, uh, Paul sees it uh, appropriate that Timothy should be kept there and Timothy should continue in Ephesus while Paul goes on to Macedonia. And the main task uh, that is given to Timothy is to stop teachers uh, of false uh, doctrine uh, at Ephesus. So as we read in verse 3, second part, charge that they may teach uh, no other doctrine. So there is only one doctrine which is sound uh, that is based on Christ. So anything that deviates uh, from the complete truth uh, would be a false doctrine. Uh, even if you dilute it by 1%, uh, it would still be considered a false uh, doctrine. So obviously, it's not an easy task uh, for someone who's young uh, to confront uh, elders uh, who are practicing uh, false doctrine. But God is uh, giving grace uh, to Timothy, and Paul is giving him the confidence by putting him in that place. So we see that God can use uh, anyone, and oftentimes uh, we are surprised uh, by the choices uh, that God makes, uh, even as we see in the life of David, uh, when Samuel goes to anoint, uh, everyone thinks uh, that the older brothers who are more skilled uh, would be picked. But God had a different uh, perspective and he chose uh, David, right? In the same way here, Timothy is chosen, even though there might be other people who are older who might have more experience. And in 1 Corinthians one twenty-seven, we see God has chosen uh, the foolish things of the world uh, to confound the wise, and God has chosen the weak uh, to confound the things uh, which are mighty. So we should never feel that we are unskilled, uh, we should never feel that we are not capable. Uh, if God is uh, calling us to do something, then we should simply step up uh, to the challenge and we should have the faith that God will equip us and he will enable us. And the role of Timothy, uh, we can say, is to rightly divide the truth and to offer godly edification to the church. And that's an important role for anyone who's in that role, that they are able to see the truth and they are able to present uh, the truth of the gospel in this case uh, without any dilution. And also not simply teach, but also to confront or hold the false teachers accountable uh, for the mistakes uh, that they are making. And Paul goes on to say not to pay attention or not to waste time on fables or genealogies uh, that leads to questions and controversies. Uh, rather than answers. So oftentimes uh, we might be engaged uh, in discussions, uh, we might be engaged in debates, uh, which really may not uh, answer anything. Uh, it may simply lead to more questions and controversies. And if you do that with uh, young believers, then they would walk away getting more confused uh, rather than getting solutions. So it's important uh, based on the audience that we don't uh, confuse uh, the subject uh, with endless debates and endless uh, controversies. So he talks about vain discussions. And when we have uh, that kind of teaching uh, in a church uh, setting, uh, it would lead to uh, teachers uh, who do not have any understanding. So the people that we are cultivating, uh, they should be teachers uh, with sound doctrine, with sound understanding. 
But if you are simply going in circles, talking about fables and genealogies, uh, it will develop the wrong uh, type of teachers uh, in the long term. So we know that many believers, uh, they are led astray by false teachings. And in Galatians 1.6, uh, Paul says, uh, Paul is saddened that many are removed from him uh, that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. So there is a gospel that is based on sound doctrine. And there is a gospel that is being taught in many churches, uh, which is not really the right gospel. So it could be the prosperity gospel, uh, where you say that if you follow God, your life would be wonderful and you would be blessed, uh, which would be one example of false gospel. And here, uh, the false teachers are sadly from within the church. And Paul had already warned them in Acts chapter 20 when he met with the elders uh, in Ephesus. Uh, he told them, for I know this, that after my departing shall come uh, grievous wolves, uh, enter in among you, not sparing the flock, and also of your own selves shall men arise, uh, speaking uh, perverse things, to draw away disciples uh, after them. So we see that oftentimes the danger is uh, within the church itself. Uh, there are leaders, there are pastors, there are teachers uh, who are led astray. And since they are led astray, uh, they also lead the congregation away uh, from sound doctrines. So that is what was happening here. Uh, so that is why Timothy is being sent uh, to intervene and stop that uh, messaging of false doctrine that is happening. So false teachers can come from within and they can also come from outside, as we read in Galatians 2.4. And the fruit uh, of true teaching or true doctrine, as Paul mentions here, uh, it is love that flows uh, from a pure heart, a heart that is uh, unselfish, uh, that is uh, sacrificial, and there is no hypocrisy. So people are not uh, loving uh, just for the sake of loving or to show but it is coming uh, from a pure heart. And our heart can be pure uh, only when we are exposed uh, to the right doctrine and only when we are submitting uh, to the true doctrine that we would have that pure love that is coming from pure heart. And also when we have good teachings, uh, it leads to a good uh, conscience, a conscience uh, that is free of guilt uh, towards God and towards others. And Paul also talks about, uh, in 1 Timothy 4.2, uh, about a conscience uh, that is seared or conscience uh, that, that is dead uh, due to sin or Satan. So we see two types of conscience. Uh, our conscience could be good and pure, or it could be something that has been uh, hardened or seared or it is dead because of falling into wrong teachings or falling into sin. And fruit of true teaching is also simple uh, childlike faith. So you're not questioning uh, everything that is in the Bible. Uh, you're not questioning uh, the ways of God. Uh, you're not questioning the wisdom of God. Uh, you're receiving the truth uh, the way it is uh, just by exercising faith. And when we drift away uh, from that simple faith, uh, Paul again warns uh, that it leads to meaningless talks and false teaching. Uh, such as we see in some of the churches uh, that you need grace 
uh, plus works uh, to earn salvation. So we see different uh, versions uh, of the gospel uh, being presented uh, in different churches. And again, that happens when we drift away from sound doctrine and when we drift away from exercising simple faith. Uh, so Bible simply says, uh, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. So we simply have to believe that and we would be saved. We would receive the gift of salvation. And in verses uh, 8 to 11, uh, Paul seems to take a quick uh, diversion. Then he comes back to the charge at the end of the chapter. So we'll go through 8 through 11 uh, quickly and then close. Yeah. So here again, uh, Paul is highlighting uh, the sound doctrine and a lifestyle that is uh, inconsistent uh, with sound doctrine because uh, they are following a teaching, uh, which is not uh, correct. But his focus here is on the law. And he begins by saying that law is actually good, but we know that the law is good uh, if a man use it uh, lawfully. And we also know that laws are set in place and they are designed to do something good for us, like even the laws that we see uh, in our society uh, that we should not murder and we should not do certain things. So all of those are good uh, if people use it uh, properly. Uh, it leads uh, to a good outcome. And that is how the laws were designed. Uh, even in the Old Testament, uh, it was designed so that when we follow it, uh, it leads to good outcome. Uh, it leads to a better society. Uh, it leads to a better community of people uh, that the Lord was uh, trying to raise. Uh, through the chosen uh, generation. generation, And Jesus uh, himself said, uh, think not that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. Uh, I'm not come to destroy, uh, but to fulfill. And the psalmist writes in 119.97, oh, how I love the law. So when we went through the book of Deuteronomy, we saw different uh, types of law. Uh, we saw the ceremonial type of laws. We saw the dietary laws. Uh, we also saw the civil laws uh, that were specific to the uh, community uh, that the Lord had brought out of Egypt. So those laws uh, do not really apply to us uh, directly today. But we can see that the moral laws uh, that we see in the Ten Commandments, uh, they would still apply to us. Uh, so we still do not have the freedom to lie or to murder or to have idols and so on. And the role of law, uh, which Paul highlights uh, in different places in the New Testament. Uh, it is uh, more like a mirror that highlights uh, the shortcomings that we have in our life. And it also reveals that on our own, uh, we cannot overcome uh, these shortcomings. So that is why the people of Israel, they would always uh, go back and make sacrifices uh, because they would always uh, fall short uh, of God's expectation. So the message there is... Uh, the laws do not really give us a solution uh, to have a good life. Uh, it is only when we come to the cross, uh, we are able to get the final solution uh, for our sins. Uh, we are able to get the final solution of how to overcome uh, a defeated life or how to overcome a sinful life. And in Galatians uh, 3.23, Paul writes, uh, but before faith came, uh, we were kept uh, under the law, shut up unto the faith, which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster uh, to bring us uh, unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, 
we are no longer under a schoolmaster. So Lord Jesus Christ, uh, he fulfilled uh, the law. And through the righteousness of Christ, uh, we see that the righteousness has been imputed to us. And in verse 9, Paul says the law was not uh, made for the righteous, but for the lawless and the disobedient. So those who are obeying the law, uh, they don't really need to know what is the consequence uh, of breaking the law. Uh, but those who are lawless, uh, they need to know their failures. Uh, they need to know what is the consequence uh, of breaking the law. And verse uh, 9 and 10, uh, he lists uh, some of the lifestyle or some of the behavior that we see. And we can say that uh, when the doctrine uh, is not good or when we are following a bad uh, doctrine or a wicked uh, doctrine, uh, it would lead to a sinful lifestyle. And this is obviously a short list, and we see a similar list uh, in the book of Galatians and other places like murderers, liars, uh, stealers, etc. And as I said before, law by itself uh, does not uh, lead to righteousness. Uh, the just uh, shall live by faith, uh, by putting our trust and our faith uh, in the completed work uh, at the cross. Uh, that is how we are justified. Uh, we also need to uh, keep in mind, oftentimes we get confused uh, with the principles uh, and the practices. And oftentimes we may uh, criticize or judge uh, other believers uh, because of the way they are practicing uh, certain things. Uh, but we need to be uh, more conscious that uh, Bible contains uh, principles uh, that cannot be changed. Uh, but the actual practices may vary. So, so when we look at different churches, uh, all of them have different uh, type of worship uh, services. So we really cannot criticize uh, other churches because they are uh, following a different pattern or they are worshiping in a different way. Uh, we need to keep in mind that we need to be faithful uh, to the biblical principles. So Bible doesn't really lay out step by step uh, how each uh, principle needs to be practiced. Uh, there could be differences uh, based on denominations. There could be differences uh, based on the time uh, or culture and so on. Uh, so we have to be careful when we look at other churches and we start criticizing randomly. So our criticism should be based uh, on wrong doctrines, uh, on wrong teachings, uh, which is what Paul is uh, emphasizing here that the church or the testimony should be built uh, on the right uh, doctrine. So if that is not being done, then we should be critical. We can be uh, hold them accountable. So Timothy is being charged here uh, with protecting the sound doctrine or the sound teachings. And that is a responsibility for all of us as believers. Uh, when we see that uh, sound doctrine is not practiced, uh, we should definitely call it out and we should uh, defend the sound doctrine. And he ends uh, verse 11 by saying, according to the glorious uh, gospel uh, of the blessed God, uh, which was committed uh, to my trust. So here he is using a very heavy word that God has given him uh, the blessed, uh, glorious gospel uh, to his trust. So that is what uh, is committed to us uh, once we are born again. Uh, the Lord has blessed us uh, with the glorious uh, gospel, and we need to defend it uh, at all costs. Uh, 
uh, we need to stand up for it uh, at all cost. And that is what Paul did uh, throughout his life. Uh, he remained uh, faithful uh, to the gospel. Uh, he defended the gospel uh, in different settings, uh, even though uh, it meant uh, much uh, persecution for him, uh, even though it meant much hardship for him. But he knew that God had committed the glorious gospel to him, and it was his responsibility to uh, defend it. And he's conveying the same uh, message to Timothy, that the gospel that he has received, that the gospel that the church at Ephesus has received, uh, it is something very precious. Uh, it is something that is very glorious, and that needs to be defended at all costs. So the glorious uh, gospel, as we know, uh, it negates the law. So Christ uh, fulfilled the law, and it brings righteousness to us, uh, even though we are sinners uh, through Christ. Uh, we are uh, we, we are able to enjoy the righteousness that is uh, imputed to us, uh, which gives us the confidence to go uh, in the presence of God. And we can also say that the glorious gospel, uh, it reveals uh, the glory, uh, it reveals the wisdom of God uh, from before the foundation of the world, and it shows uh, God's uh, glorious plan uh, for the mankind, uh, even though the mankind uh, is deprived Mankind is living in sin, but it reveals uh, God's great plan of how he can change uh, sinners uh, into saints. Today was an uh, uh, introduction and about Paul and Timothy and the charge <laughs> that is given to Timothy, which is to protect the sound doctrine, uh, to protect the uh, gospel. We can see the limitation of the law uh, in the New Testament and we are introduced to the glorious gospel, which Paul picks up again uh, in subsequent verses. So, so we can ask ourselves in what way uh, uh, today's church uh, is being threatened by false doctrine or cultural challenges. And how would we determine uh, whether we are attending the right church? So obviously, when you move uh, to a new place, uh, we have options uh, to select uh, from many different churches, uh, many different congregations. So we need to be careful that we are fellowshipping uh, with the right church, because when we are fellowshipping with the wrong church, then we are exposed to wrong doctrines, and slowly uh, we lose uh, our faith. Uh, we are led astray, and we lose that purity that the Lord is looking for uh, in each one of our lives.